We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a In an effort to brighten up the podcast and move it away from the doom and pessimism that I may sometimes provide, we've opened it up to your questions. And you know what I found out? You were the doomy ones all along. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Look, I figured we'll do a mailbag pod. It's the interlull. You know, there's nothing going on. Arsblog is pitching gooch strimmers. We're pitching manscape tools. You know, we can get into that later. It's a, it's a thing. I'm a lawnmower guy myself. If you want to use the Gooch trimmer, that's up to you, but we'll get to it. So I'm like, look, we'll do the mailbag. And that way, it's not just me leaning into my priors, into my pessimism, and I'm scrolling through your questions that you've submitted. And guess what? It turns out you were the doomy ones all along. You were the ones who were not. What are these questions? What are these questions? They made me so sad I didn't want to do the podcast. So it's not my fault. I want to be clear about that. I can only ask the questions I'm given, which is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to ask them to Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hey, hello, hello. And I'm going to ask them to Paul. You can find him on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause. Woo-hoo. And I'm going to ask them, Tim. You can find him on Twitter. Stupid. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And I might even ask one to myself, but I might not because nobody wants to hear that. Anyway, okay. Uh, Tim, we're just going to dive right in. We're going to get into the meat of it. And Smith KSA, which is not just me uh, coming up with a pseudonym, <laughs> says. It's time for a progress report on Arteta. Is he behind, on par, or ahead of where we should be at this stage in his Arsenal managerial position? Oh, that's that's a really, really interesting one. I thought so too. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, because it's really difficult because it's really difficult to like divorce the recency bias and everything. What like where are we in the Premier League? I, I feel like I'm really, really out of the loop here in in terms of like the league table and stuff like that. Oh, I was going to because... say it was English football's top league, and but that wasn't what you were asking. You're asking actually how far into it so are we? Yeah, it's eight because... eight matches played, I believe, and we're eleventh. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So so maybe a bit behind, but <laughs> we are. We're only six points off the top. Um, but it is his second so, season, so he's not just asking this season. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, exactly. Like So So last season, um, last season kind of, I think all bets are off when a manager comes in halfway through the season. And, you know, we finished eighth, which, I mean, I get, where do you think we'd have finished had we kept Emery? Um, I think maybe about eighth or ninth, to be honest. Like, I, I don't think we'd have finished much lower than that, would we? I mean, it um, did have downing tools potential, like, you know, 14th, yeah. 15th, because there's not a lot of points between those positions at that point. Yeah, true, true. Um, and, and you know, he won, like, we won the FA Cup, so that that's obviously, you know, big tick. But how much can you actually use cup competitions to gauge progress? And, um, and, and, and really, I think what that cup win was about was really, like, at, at the time when we get, like, um, you've got Manchester City in the semi-final, and then it's either Man U or Chelsea in the final. You think, oh, we've got no chance. But in hindsight, we now know that was the best possible thing for Arsenal. If it had been like Aston Villa in the semi, followed by I don't know Stoke in the final or something, we'd have we'd have been buggered. Well, we wouldn't have got to the final. Um, so it it's it's kind of really difficult because it feels like he's doing things in stages, um, and he started with the defence, and I think the defence is broadly better i know that that some of the underlying numbers suggest that maybe we're not as good defensively as we think we've been but he's kind of done that bit and so i i find it re- I, honestly i find it too difficult to give a definitive answer because like we, we're just we're, we're not really there yet are we in terms of it kind of depends what happens next doesn't it yeah yeah that's exactly. so unfair that's cheating <laughs> where, where we finish this season i think we'll, we'll really like you know if 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 we finish in roughly the same place or lower then you know that that's bad and if we finish higher it's good and what our points totals are but also the other reason it's so difficult to answer this is because it's such a weird season um Leicester atop when does that ever happen like you know Leicester could win the league that's uh, you know it's never happened before (laughs) never happened before no um but you do you know what I mean like it's the context is really weird we've we've played a lot of the bigger games as well um so maybe we're broadly on the same points total that you'd kind of expect but we've dropped the points where you wouldn't expect us to that makes sense like I, I think we'd probably feel a bit more on track if, say, we'd lost to Man United because we usually lose to Man United. But, you know, we'd, we'd disposed of Villa and Leicester at home. Like, do you know what I mean? It's it's, mm. it's really weird. So he's got the structure there. The defend the defence is, is slightly better. He's kind of, I mean, it's too much to say he's cracked the big games, but he's found a way to make us competitive in those games. But, but now is in many ways... Um, you know, well, I'm not sure whether it's the hardest bit, but it's the biggest bit, the kind of what do you do with the humdrum 70% of your season when you're a team like Arsenal and you should expect to win most of those games. So I, I just, at this stage, with the, and with, I think, a quite lopsided fixture list, I genuinely, I find it really, really difficult to tell. And I, I don't think 
be able to tell until like maybe we've played every team once mm. and we get to the knockouts of the Europa League where obviously we stumbled last year under Arteta. Um, so to, in, in short, I, I genuinely don't know. And that's not just me duck, ducking the question. I, I, I honestly don't know. I, I think we're better the, than we were when, you know, like the day Emery left. I still think we're better. Um, Do you think, a, but if, if I said to you the day Emery left, what are the metrics for success under Arteta? Would you say just be better than Emery? Because I, I, I don't think that would have been a sufficient not, measuring stick. No, no, and certainly not over his whole reign. But if you'd have said we'll be better, I mean, we were better pretty much straight away. But if you'd have said we'll be better in 10 months' time and we'll have won a cup, then I think I'd have been broadly happy with that. Mm. So here's the funny thing. I actually think, the FA Cup complicates the hell out of this. If you take the FA Cup away, and for the record, you can't and you shouldn't, but I'm saying if you take the FA Cup away, every single person would say we're below par. Not because they want Mikel Arteta out or because they think he's bad, but finishing 8th in the league, 11th in the new season, near relegation attacking figures, losing in the knockout rounds of the Europa League to Olympiacos after a win away in the first leg, it's massively underperforming. Not, again... That doesn't mean he can't turn it around. doesn't mean he won't excel in the, sub, the upcoming period. To this point, that no one would have settled for that. Like when we appointed Arteta that day and he said, you'll finish eighth this season, Olympiacos will knock you out of the Europa League, and eight games into next season, you'll be 11th with relegation form attacking metrics. No one would have taken it. No one would have said it's par. Now, again, that's not to say it's decided and it's done. It's at this point. The question was at this point. What complicates it is when you win the FA Cup going through City and Chelsea to do it, how do you how do you contextualize that? And I have to admit, I do not know. I mean, I remember a year, I think Wigan won the FA Cup the year they went down with Mar- Roberto Martinez, right? Um, and I think they beat City along the way, ironically, didn't they? Wigan's FA Cup yep, year? Yeah, they beat them in the final. Yeah, they beat yeah. City in the final and went down. And Roberto Martinez... I don't think was regarded as being a successful coach there at that time. I, and again, I'm not, not, I'm not analogizing the two or the situation. I'm simply saying that the FA Cup complicates that calculus. If you took it out, I think the calculus is very easy. But we won a cup, and cups are great, and it's why you play the game, and we did it in brilliant fashion. And, so, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, I think it does play into the wider theme that we've seen in some of the league results as well, that we, we're doing better, like much, much better in those games against... Well, the teams I guess we aspire to compete with. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that is that is also complicating it, right? Because like beating up the small teams and getting pounded by the big teams sucks. We experienced that under Arsene Wenger, but it's also a way to get top four. So it's it's very complicated. So, so Clive, first, real quick, Brett Oblack at Retrospect asks, "Who's been hitting you in the face with a fish?" <clears throat> oh. Well you when you just said Mark said wasn't a successful coach. I mean bloody hell he's, he's managing the number one team in oh, the world. Okay, sorry, the sorry. I meant I meant at wait I meant at Wigan. I meant was that a successful Wigan season he, on, he's I, a, I, I he's a successful coach. He's a great coach. I like him. No, sorry. To to clarify, I meant would Wigan fans have well, Wigan fans may have considered that a successful. He kept season. he kept Wigan up when they should have been Total, gone down. Years I, I like Martinez. Let me restate. Do you think that was a successful season? Do you think Wigan fans would take that outcome, relegation in the that's FA Cup? That's a different Cup? question. Different question. No one would take relegation over winning the FA right. Cup. So right, so that's... Sorry, so you I can't dismiss. You can't dismiss the trophy. No, no, no. Right? So, no, you shouldn't. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, well, I guess we can move on from who, who hit you in the face with a fish. And if you don't understand that reference, it's because Clive, uh, multiple occasions on, on a previous pod, said it's like being hit in the face with a fish. So um, Yeah, just, that's just a phrase for you know, sometimes you get smacked with something mm-hmm. that makes you look at the obvious. Sometimes you like the thing you're getting Arteta's... smacked with. Your, your mileage may vary. <laughs> um, Clive, Cluck the Rotisserie Chicken asks, do you think Oba regrets signing a new deal with us? No, not at all. Um, I just think it's um, I read something today that we've played 14 games this season and we've won 10 of them just at the four that we've lost just, just happened to be in the Premier League and we can sometimes get a little bit um, crazy about defeat particularly if then in a way where we really feel there's some fundamental things wrong and that is our right as fans to question and challenge and and see if we can see another way and that's part of the analytical fan and investigative fan that we are but I wouldn't take it beyond to a point where I think Aubameyang regrets it. I've, I always felt that he would stay and he should stay. I thought the club suits him and he suits the club. And so I just thought it was the right thing for him to do. Um, he seems to have a role that he's growing into. He seems to have a much more strong leadership role. He seems to have a close relationship with the manager. At this stage of his career, just playing football for an Inter Milan or a Barcelona, get a few quid there. What does that really mean for him? I think he wants something else and the personality that he is. I think Arsenal come along at a good time and a new manager, a young manager, leaning on him. And I think that's just what you want. Sometimes you've got to say to yourself, do I want to go there to a bigger name club per se? Or do I want to be here and have real influence in the in situation going forward? And I think he chose the latter. And because we lost a couple of games we shouldn't have done, I don't think that should... Um, Make him regret it. Although, if you the one bit that you may may be touching on, which I may have missed in your original question, mm-hmm. is football wise, tactic wise, is he playing where he wants to play? Well, here's maybe a better way to ask it. D- Dig Tig at Digint Thirteen says, "Do you think that Oba seems as pissed off as the rest of us? So maybe not regret signing the contract, but do you think he's as pissed off? Like with you know, from a yeah, I sense that. I sense that, and maybe I'm looking for it. You know, is he pissed off because we lost the game? Is he pissed off because he's not playing where he wants to play, and he's watching when the wardrobe shifters start sit at centre forward and miss chances? I think, um, I think you know, it must. Be, it's pissing me off. So it must be pissing him off. You know, and, <laughs> and, and so. And so, is that my question? And so, and, and again, that's that's back to the fisk. It's got to be. It's obvious now, isn't it? And it's. Mm-hmm. It's obvious there needs to be a change there. And I was thinking back to the game, it may have been City actually, I think it was City away, when um, Arteta played Willian as false nine. But maybe he was already think, looking at this thinking, you know, this isn't working as I want it to work. Let me try something else, you know. And so and we thought that was a crazy decision at the time, but what was it really saying about the two set of falls on the bench while Willian was trudging around in that in that central role? He's looking at it. He's looking at it. I think he wants things from that role that he thinks Aubameyang can't give, but I think I believe he's mistaken, but what do I know? So, yeah, that's the only thing that will bother me a little bit. Football tactically-wise, he might be thinking, um, is this for me? However, when he signed that contract, he was playing off the left and flying, you know, literally flying. So let's see what happens. But I'm hoping to have a group, a front four, where we decide three, four, five that he's in a place where he can be better. That's what I really hope, and I'm sure he's having that discussion. Yeah, and and I mean, to be clear, like, on the, do you think he regrets signing his contract? I mean, I don't want to be too much of a cynic, but what I will say is that 
it's the final big contract of his career. And, you know, aside from maybe he goes to the MLS or something like that and, you know, has a bit of a retirement party. But realistically, it's the last big money of his career. And I, every, every player wants to win. But I don't know if he could have gotten close to the assurance of making big money into his playing dotage anywhere else. So I, while he may be frustrated with his usage, I, I strongly suggest that he does not regret the business decision he made. And I don't mean that cynically. I think players have every right to protect their, their business interests, their you know career interests. And I think he very nicely protected that. So, you know, that is, um, that is definitely something that I, I think is fine. Uh, Paul, Sakaology, Sakaology at Arsenal View underscore asks, what is the floor and ceiling for the current project? And so I will put that in a, my understanding of how the question is being asked. In other words, like the group we have now, no additional moves, no incomings, no outcomings. This project right now, in other words, this squad and all of its uh, features and benefits, what is the floor and what is the ceiling for it in the competitions in which we are currently uh, enrolled? You mean this season or the next couple of seasons? However you want I mean, to answer project, it, but assuming yeah. no no changes, same coach, same players, where like best case scenario of what you think this group can achieve, and worst case scenario of how it how it could go in the other direction. Okay, well I'll make one tweak to it because I'm answering, which is we're very clearly after an attacking midfielder. And that will be added in the next couple of seasons. I mean, it just will. So it'd be an interesting exercise if if nothing ever changed. But that's not reality of it. Um, I think, like, I think this season, uh, I always thought around top, we were fighting for top six, not top four, maybe not even top five. Um, That My view on that hasn't changed. I mean, our bottom could be, 14 or something like that. And next year, I mean, things can go, can go south on you, as we saw with Emery. Um, Most people didn't expect his season to tank like that. They thought he might continue some level of mediocrity. The problem is when, when people start to give up on you, uh, it can get ugly. Um, So for any manager, uh, the downside can be, you know, can be lower mid-table if things don't get better. So things have to get better. If they don't get better, <clears throat> you start kind of looking downwards. Um, so we'll have to improve and we'll have to invest. We'll have to get that attacking midfielder. And assuming we get a good one, then, I, I mean, I still think with this group, you're going to struggle to get much past competing for sixth or fifth. Um, but it's a process and the, there's the medium long term and the short medium term. I think that's our trading range somewhere between mid table and genuinely competing for sixth. Uh, but even with that, we've a little bit of a ways to go at the moment. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm happier than many with, with how cohesive we look and how we play. And I understand we're missing a kind of an important piece, the attack. Um, I don't know how he pivots from where we're at to a more of attacking style of play. Maybe he needs that extra player to make that happen. Maybe that's just the critical piece. But I think we have enough good players to put together a more attacking setup and lineup. But I don't think he wants to rip and replace. I don't think he wants to 
change systems. And I think people are going to be frustrated over the next few games because there's a lot of this, uh, I if he doesn't change this or if he doesn't do that or whatever, and I don't think, you know, he's had two weeks where he can't uh, swap his team around because they've all been on international duty or enough of the key players. I don't know he's in a position to change systems significantly or personnel, but but obviously in the next couple of games, he needs to start tweaking the system to be more attacking. But I don't think he has a huge trading range with this with this team. And because of the way things work, you can go down, uh, you can plummet a lot more than you. We can't skyrocket. We're not going to win the league. <clears throat> but I'm sure we could put our minds to totally cratering it and flirting with relegation if things go bad. But that's true. That's not specific to this team. That's true of any team. Um, progress will be the challenging piece. And uh, you you got to progress or you start looking down. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, you know what, Paul? Like, when I think about the floor, I don't necessarily care so much. You know what I mean? Like, mm. would you care if we finished 14th instead of 9th? You know what I mean? Um, I mean, it it would reflect a negative season where I think we were playing poorly more than we were playing well. Um, and I think there'd be disappointment largely regardless. So I really care about ceiling. And and this was always the Emery argument. I don't want a guy that can kind of keep us in a band between fifth and seventh. I want a guy who can win a league or can, you know, get us to third or fourth or whatever it is. And while we had no idea if Arteta was that guy, you know, I was excited about his ceiling. I remain excited about his ceiling. And I think, I think that it was his ceiling that led us to want to take him. Now, the issue becomes, does this squad have a ceiling? And I would say, unfortunately... I'm increasingly of the opinion that the squad maybe doesn't have a ceiling um, from what I've seen in the attack. And as Arteta's pointed out, you need 80, 90, 100 goals to compete at the top, and we're going to be lucky to get halfway there. So that you know that that is the issue for me is ignore floor. Never worry about floor. I mean, look, if you're a team that can get relegated, worry about floor. But otherwise, don't worry about floor. Always shoot. I'm, de- I'm definitely a worry about the floor, man, but that that's another. Like, things can go bad and get worse. And you go into a state of chaos that that you become that team. I but but uh, Paul, can I can I say say one good thing about a floor? A floor is definitive. Mm-hmm. When you hit the floor, you make a change. You know what's worse than floor? Fifth and sixth every season, where you're like, maybe we're on the right time. Like think about it. What are we always rooting for with Solshar? What are we always rooting for with Lampard? Be good enough that they don't sack him, but don't be good enough that they're th- right. I mean, because you know, if it gets bad, they'll make a change. So what you you never want to be in that middle space that paralyzes you from action. You want to be at the ceiling, but if you can't be at the ceiling, it's almost worth going to the floor so that you make substantial change. Is that is that, too, that linear, only, too binary? No, I think that makes sense if you're talking about whether you want to manage your change or not. But, it, man, the, the guy comes... The manager coming in would much prefer to have a team that's in uh, sixth place than in 14th and in fucking disarray. Mm, I don't disagree with that, although Chelsea won a league after finishing 12th, right? So, like, it can, you yeah, know... with and, the Bramovich money, resources... Yeah, you're right. But, you know, I mean, look look at Leicester. I mean, I, th- I guess what I'm saying is a good acquisition or a, a breakthrough, um, you know, a, a breakthrough uh, academy can I mean what Klopp won the title or was competing for a title by his third season, second season was top four. I don't know. I guess we don't need to go on on this. I just think... I'd rather have no. definitive no, no. outcomes. Like the thing about Emery is we probably should have sacked him in the summer. I think most people agree, but it finally hit the floor enough that we knew we had to make change. And that 
that was a good thing in some respects. Um, Tim, th- this is a tough one, and I will try to find some some more upbeat uh, questions. I am literally look. I, I joked around. <laughs> I joked around about it at the top of the pod. These are your questions, and I'm not cherry picking them. Go through Twitter. Go through Discord. Go through Facebook. They're they're all like this. You depressing, um, depressing bastards. It's them. Yeah, it's them. It's yeah. it's. Let's let's talk about their problems, not my problem. Um, okay, Tim. Uh, mm. Oh God. See. I want to say names right. I do. And I'm not it's not that I'm culturally insensitive. It's just when they're written down, sometimes I I struggle to read them. So I, I, Hashitha Kushin. I think I got that right at Hashitha. Yeah, no, that's it. That's okay, it. thanks. Because you're the expert. Tim, he says, are you worried that Arteta seems to trust less talented team players like William and El Nenny, but in, individual individualistic with higher ceilings? Like Pepe and Ganduzi, no, he lists Ganduzi. I'm not the one listing that. Are thrown under the bus again. His words, not mine. Um, that may be a little bit of a loaded question, but I think the underlying question of is he a system over talent guy? You know, does he want the the worker bees more than the the stars? Like, are you concerned that that is his approach and and that it might be holding us back? Uh, yeah, yeah, I am overall. Like, like you say, I, I do. I do think the question's like slightly loaded. It is. Yep. Um, <laughs> like, and at the moment with um, with Pepe, for example, like he hasn't started the last couple of games, so we all want him in, um, and 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 I do as well. But at the same time, I have to acknowledge that he has been hugely inconsistent, um, and that if he starts at Leeds on Sunday. Um, don't have a swear jar handy because you will lose your weekly wage <laughs> swearing at him losing the ball stupidly like he he has been very frustrating and Arteta is not the only one who has who has left him out for example because he's been frustrating um so like I almost feel like Pepe is a separate question uh, because he's immensely frustrating and immensely talented at the same time mm. but as for the kind of broader question yes yes I do worry about that um, I've worried about it for a little while. And look, the reason a lot of these questions are quite downbeat is because recency bias, right? Well, not even recency bias. It's just we had a bad result. We had a really bad result before um, before the international break. I dare say had the international break come a week earlier after the victory at Old Trafford, the questions might be slightly different. But but yes, I, I've worried about that for a while. Um, and, and look, also I am... Personally, I'm much more of a, I like a bit of jazz in attack, um, always have done. And, I, you know, that's not who Arteta is. And that that's kind of fine. Like his job is not to accord to my tastes, it's to win games. And, and I guess what we're looking for really is a happy medium here. Um, because I, I don't think we're ever going to go full jazz up front under Arteta. But, you know, Man City aren't jazz under Guardiola which is one of the reasons I don't really like watching them <laughs> mm. um, that much as, as good as I think they are um, but don't get me wrong if Arsenal end up attacking like that I, I will be just fine don't worry about it like my my entertainment in terms of watching Arsenal is Arsenal winning and I, d- I don't really care how it happens um, so, in sh- so then I guess I should steer the question away from my personal tastes and, and ask whether um ask whether that's the most effective way forward like trying to look at this from Arteta's point of view I I guess so at the moment with the personnel we've got quite frankly because it really it really does strike me as a kind of um 
you know, I like the bedsheet analogy that Rafa Benitez used to use, um, you know, where you kind of, you pull the bedsheet up and your feet are cold, but then you pull it down and your chest is cold. <laughs> and that's kind of where this Arsenal squad is at the moment. And, and I do think it's really, really tricky to strike that balance between being a bit freer in attack and not completely collapsing in defence because the talent in this Arsenal squad is very front-loaded. Um, one of the reasons the lack of attacking, um, like, like one of the reasons the attack not functioning is frustrating is because that's where all our talent is. Whereas in defense and midfield, I, I don't think it really is. So it, in, in short, yes, I do worry about this. I don't think that this is entirely how Arteta wants it, but I do think he's wrestling with that kind of, how much do I, you know, release the handbrake before the pack of fucking clowns at the back, um, you know, start throwing custard pies in their own faces. Mm, yeah, well, I mean, that, <laughs> I, I guess the question becomes like, if we're not going anywhere without scoring more goals, like what is the alternative? You know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, yes, I, I, I look, I, I understand the, the uh, concern and I, I think it is a big concern and a valid concern, but like, I don't know that he's got much of a choice if he wants to push us forward at this point. So yeah, who would, yeah. who would, who would want to be Mikel Arteta? <laughs> and, and, and he knows that, right? He's, he's already said we need to score 90 to 100 goals. And I don't believe he thinks that this is the way to do that. Yeah, exactly. Um, Frederick Chack, uh, that can't be right. To catch F Frederick to catch asks if William and Lacazette start against Leeds, should I call my doctor to up my antidepressant dosage? Frederick, uh, as they used to say in school, uh, if you, are going to have those, you need to bring enough for the entire class. So, uh, yes, please share. So, uh, Clive, well, let, let's let's do a little concrete stuff first. I'll give, I'll give you two quick ones, Clive. Well, one quick one and then one that you can go on and on and on for as long as you like, really. Uh, the next three, uh, AFC Schwinn, Schwinn asks, next three Premier League fixtures, Leeds away, Wolves home, Spurs away. How many points do you risk realistically expect and how many do you predict? Um... I think six and six, actually. And I'm more concerned about the home games rather than the away games. Mm. I don't know. I know it shouldn't really matter at the moment, but it just feels that way. I don't know what it is about us at home. Well, again, recency bias, I suppose. I just got two defeats in my mind. And so I've now got a concern about that. But um, I think, yeah, the two home games, are, sorry, the two away games, I think we might do all right in. I think I will say Spurs are ganging up, getting ready for us per se, and I think they're looking for, they got a lot of big games coming up, you know, I think they got Chelsea, I think they got City coming out, they got us, they've not played anybody yet, so their moment of, of truth is really coming, and so we're going to get Spurs in the middle of a pack of big games, and it's very important that we do something there, for my opinion, to sort of close that gap and smash them back into a little box, but, um, but yeah, the away games I fancy, but the home game I'm a little bit more concerned about at the moment. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, they go, to your point, um, home to City, home to Ludogrets, uh, Ozil's favorite team to beat up on, uh, at Chelsea, at Lask. I don't know what Lask is, but hopefully it's a very, very, very far away trip. Does anybody know? Sounds Eastern European-ish. Um, and then I us. Denmark. Yeah, that's, not, that's not quite far enough, is it? Um, but it's still a trip, and it's still a Thursday. Uh, well, no, we play Thursday. What am I talking about? Still a midweek game. Anyway, moral of the story is, yes, they have they have hard games coming up. Um, and hopefully they will be absolutely shit when we play them. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would take six from that group, I think. 
Um, that'd be fine. Well, Clive, let me give you another one since that one wasn't very um, uh, analytical, a- a- analysis-oriented. Ben K at Ben K Writer. I can only presume that Ben K does some writing there. Uh, says, we keep hearing about Saliba not being ready. What does that mean? Is he not fit enough, not good enough, not strong enough? Why was this not apparent before we brought him in? And why would a lower division league on loan solve the problem? Yeah, this one, this one perplexes me. There's been little rumours since the last time we spoke about this about him losing both his parents. I mean, if that's the case, then all bets are off, really, aren't they? Regarding as to when we'll see him come back. If you're a 19-year-old kid that lost both his parents in a new country and you're just learning the language, can't I mean, even imagine. Yep, football's probably the last thing on your mind, right? So, um. You sign this big multi-million pound contract and people have expectations on you. That's the case. Then Arsenal are doing some amazing things to keep that out of the, the public eye per se and, and and to protect him, you know, and play him in moments just to keep him ticking over. And if that's the case, then full credit to them. I've, I've been saying consistently there's been an event and I didn't think it was that type of an event. I thought it maybe was a, a football type event. But something has happened for us all to change course significantly as they did do. I again I will look at I will go back to my own sort of analysis and knowledge and listening to other people that know him far better than me. And it was unanimous the talent that we had. So my gut says to me, once someone reveals themselves as a talent, then they'll come back again. You know, particularly when you're only nineteen. So it's just a matter of patience. And you don't feel patient when you watch Mustafi losing Jamie Vardy in a, in a home game, which you've seen for four or five years. You, your patience gets tested in those moments. And we all want that magic team in, that we think in our own minds to be on the pitch. And for many people, he's part of it and he's just not there yet. And we just have to hang in and trust the professionals on this one and, and hope they're getting it right. Now, I can almost hear you, Elliot, saying, you know what, mate? They've not always got it right. And that is the concern, you know, that is the concern. And that's when you're now you're now relying on us to trust the club to be to do what they want, do the right thing appropriately. So that's all I can do, you know, and, and just hope they're getting this right because the the boy's a talent, he's the right type of player. And I think he fit perfectly in our defence, but he's he's like I say, he's signed for five plus years and and we just got to wait until he can reveal himself. You know what's interesting, Clive, is that like I've gone back and forth and back and forth on this because if you remember when this first came up, I said, look, this this is a kid, a literal kid. I mean, you know, school-age person who has lost their parents and that kind of shock is enough to, to destabilize you to your core. But then I think like, well, does playing U23 football, you know, two divisions down the table in, you know, in England help him recover from that shock? Would being in the first team playing in the Europa League feeling like at least he still has his career going in the right direction, would that help? Or would the scrutiny he'd come under hurt more? Certainly going back to France sounds like the kind of thing that could help. You do a lot of speculating when you're dealing with someone going through an emotional shock, and that speculation isn't always helpful. So I don't yeah. I don't really know how to react to that. What I will say is the footballing part of it makes very, very, very little sense. And if it is related to that shock, Clive, the only thing I'd ask is, don't you think it would make a little bit of sense for the manager to come out and sort of say, this is a young man who's gone through a big shock, a big hardship, and the club is just caring for him right now in the way we can to get him through this and he will get through it 
to sort of eliminate the speculation because that can't be good for his men? I mean, is do you think that no, if that I'm were the case, that would help or is, is not the right way to go? No, I think that's an absolutely wonderful thing you've just said there. Honestly, I think it's a wonderful thing. And maybe sometimes clubs have to trust people that they're, they're not all bad. You know what I mean? And they will take that information as as it's meant and um and and react appropriately and accordingly, you know. So but, I think that's a really good thing. You can only say that if the player is comfortable with it. And yeah. the player's assessment of where he's at may not A be correct because he's in the middle of it and he's a kid. And B may not be aligned. I mean, it might be a perfectly reasonable and fair thing to say, but if the kid's like no, there's nothing wrong. I want to play. There's, n- I, you know, he may not want it out there that he's kind yeah. of suffering, grieving. The relationship may not be in place where, uh, you know, he's they're on the same page. It could be. We don't know what we don't if know. If that's right? the case, Paul, I mean, the only reason I'd push back on that is if that's the case. If he's the kind of person who wouldn't want that suffering made public, who wouldn't want that excuse put forward, and I, I look, it's such a hardship. I don't know how you would try to act like it's not happening, then I would argue that he is also the kind of person who would want to push forward with his career at the top level, not be shielded from the competition. So I'm sure he wants to play. I mean, he's made that clear. I'm sure, uh, like, it, I think we know enough to know that he would have wanted to play for Saint-Étienne if we weren't going to use him here. Yeah. I, well, all right, look, that, we could talk about him for an hour, yeah. and we have. L- l- let me move on. I, before we take a, a quick break, I want to... um. I want to ask you a question that I guess is sort of a positive one, Paul, because we, we kind of need one. Um, mm. Nick Lawson at Nick Lawson on Twitter asks, let's try to be a little positive. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> Someone's got to. What would be your... I don't know if this is going to be positive, though. This might be the, the most negative question of all. What would be your pitch for Arsenal if someone new to football just asked you which club they should support? Um you know, and it got me thinking, because we used to make fun of Liverpool for a while, that it was always the history and, you know, stuff that happened years and years and years ago, and they built a new history. Like, what are what are your arguments to someone who's like, oh, I'm picking up Premier League football. I want to support a club. Which, which club should I support? Now, presumably, if, you know, if you hate that person, you'd say Tottenham Hotspur. But if there's someone you care about and you want them to be happy, how on earth could you talk them in Arsenal? Um, I think pretty, like, obviously the thing to do is to be a trophy whore and find out whoever's winning and whoever will be winning for the next couple of years. But, like... What's that say about you? You know, it, it, do you, are you a man of substance, of, of merit, of of character, a woman who 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 looks for the qualities of an organization, their values, their their direction, their direction of travel in terms of what they aspire to? But actually, I think the most valid reason why is the Arsenal online. Uh, unless this person's a match day going potential fan, and I'm assuming. That's not what we're talking about because they well, tend to it, sort, it sort themselves. Could be. Yeah. But they kind of, that's a whole other maybe they're moving. Process. Maybe they're moving to London, you know? Yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, you kind of inherit To be fair, there's no match-going fans at the moment. So. Yeah, that's well, true. <laughs> Sadly. So, you know, online Arsenal Twitter is the place to be. I mean, it's a bloody great community. Um, we're knowledgeable, most of us. Um, we're... we're uh, smart, we're active, we're, we're where it's at, it's where the buzz is, and like you want drama, we got drama. <laughs> if it's not happening on the pitch, it'll be happening off the pitch. We've had all sorts of stuff happen in the the annals of 
uh, Arsenal Twitter online to keep you amused in between games or even in between seasons. So, I mean, it's just, it's a hell of a community. Um, I've given up watching TV for the most part because I don't need it. Uh, Arsenal, Arsenal online, Arsenal social media, the people, the characters, the the conversations, the friends you make. Um, I just think we're tops. I mean, absolutely brilliant uh, engagement, um, great entertainment. Um, And we even have a football team we follow. Um, Like, it's good. It's just good. Yeah, and and you know what? It's it's the sleeping giant in a way, right? Because, like, we have our golden age. We have our... We have our our history that is exciting and brilliant. We play in a great city. If you don't live there, you'd have a great place to go to, to, to visit a stadium, to go to a, a, a team that I think a club that, you know, and I, I could be speaking out of turn here, but I always feel is strong on issues of inclusion. I mean, I know there's been some political stuff that hasn't been great this year, China and things like that. So I don't, I don't want to speak out of turn, but I think in general, there's a history of being a more inclusive and progressive club than maybe some of the others. A club that was always identified with class, although I, you know, I realize there's ownership issues, but by and large, God, I'm caveating the fuck out of this. Um, by and large, like I just think the sleeping giant angle, right? Like a club that isn't a, a, a winner right now, that you're not on the bandwagon, but only has upside, the stature, the size, the the opportunity to get on a ride that is going to be exciting going forward. Um he said before relegation. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that it's, it's that that appeals. So that would sort of be my, be my take on it. Um, okay. So there's a question for me here that I am going to read and I, I, I had it. I got to, Oh no, I know where it is. I got it. Cool. All right. So this one comes from Twitter. Arsenal Nair at Arsenal Nair asks, where do babies come from? So, look, babies come from a, a, a complex process that involves the joinder of body parts of, a, 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 of two people in love or not in love. can be casual. can still make a baby. Just something to bear in mind, kids out there. It often um, helps. Yep, <laughs> that's true. What I would say is that if you want to make a baby, or even if you do not, this process by which babies are made is certainly helped, encouraged, stimulated by, hear me out here, a smooth, well-shaven area before you go mushing it together with someone else. So, look, whether you want to make babies or you just want to practice the process by which babies are made, or you just want to feel good about yourself because for God's sake, it's a pandemic, and we all need a way to feel good, it's, it's just absolutely crucial that you go to manscaped.com and use promo code ArsenalVision. It is, it is an essential thing to do. Because first of all, the Gooch streamer that you may have heard about, I have it on good authority, the blades are rusty. It is. But not the lawnmower 3.0. Ceramic blades, a long-lasting battery. You can bring it in the shower, use it wet or dry. Eyebrows, sideburns, chest, private area. I mean, it's, you know, it's great for private area because you're not going to nick yourself, cut yourself. You know what isn't helpful for making babies? Having abrasions, scabs. Mm-mm. Not great. Nope, not appealing. So this is what you do. You go to manscaped.com, promo code Arsenal Vision. Not only will you save 20%, you get free shipping. I use the thing. Not that you want to picture that. Please don't picture that. Pretend I didn't even say that. But I do, and it's wonderful. And I will say this. 
as embarrassing as this whole thing is, if you are someone who doesn't shave down there, then fine, forget it, forget it. But if you are someone who does, don't lie. You're using some razor that's been in your, your shower for six weeks or something that doesn't work great. It's not a great experience. This will fix that. So just, just do it. It makes a lot of sense. If you do it, you never have to hear me talk about it again. You can email me and say, I finally did it. Will you please delete you talking about it from my specific podcast stream? And I will do that. Manscaped.com. Promo code Arsenal Vision. Lawnmower 3.0. Free shipping. 20% off. Do it. Do it. Manscaped.com. Promo code Arsenal Vision. Okay, well, I want to thank Arsenal Nair for that question. It was extremely helpful. And I, I think it got us all on the right path. Right? Right. Okay. Tim, you good? Tim is back. Right? Yes, I yeah. am. Oh, good. Okay. Um, so, look, Tim, I'm going to give you another upbeat one. Here we go. Uh, NK at Nandak. Oh, gosh. It's it's not because I can't read the name. It's because it's a Twitter handle, so all the letters are together. Oh, boy. NK, that part I got, is at Nandakisharek. I don't know. Yeah, if that's he- it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Paul's my hero. Gents. I'm a, I'm a cunning linguist. Yes, you are. And it's always easier to be a cunning linguist when someone's used that. Nope, not going to do it. Uh, keeping this defeat aside, do you think playing attractive football and being successful go hand in hand? Sure, we have found new defensive resilience under Arteta. But when was the last time a team with a boring style of football won the Premier League or the Champions League? And I will throw in there, please don't mention Jose Mourinho. Uh, but I think it's an interesting question. Do, does attractive football and being successful go hand in hand? Do you think in modern football it is still a possibility in the Premier League, to be a success playing primarily defensive football? Um, no, no, not unless I think um, if you play primarily defensive football, you can go from kind of, I guess, I, th- I think you can go up a level if you're a team of a certain level who isn't quite elite. So I, I think, I mean, look, Leicester, Leicester won the league built on a really, really good defence. That was kind of the main tenant of how they did it. But obviously that was a bit of an aberration. So I, th- I think you can be like a lower mid-table team who can like maybe even push for top eight or something like that if you're primar- primarily defensive. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think, honestly, of of teams in, you know, elite leagues. What about Madrid? Have... Uh, sorry, Atleti. Atleti. <laughs> what about yeah, Simeone? Yeah, I mean, yeah, is yeah. that just because there's really only two teams you've got to be better than and after that you can beat up on the rest or... You think that that's yeah, quite reproducible? Possibly. Quite possibly. I, I, I don't watch quite enough La Liga to know, and, and it may be doing Atleti a, a misjustice to say they're primarily defensive because I imagine, like I said, I don't really watch enough Spanish football, but I imagine for like most of the games they play, that won't cut it, that you do have to have good attack. And if you look at Atleti like over the last 10 to 15 years, even predating Simeone, what, what's the one thing that really sticks out? Some of the strikers they've had like really unreal. They've been a factory of great strikers. Um, so uh, look, ultimately you've got to have a really good balance between both, but the big teams, the big teams really push teams back and frankly don't have to do a lot of defending city in their pomp. Didn't really have great defenders. Neither did that brilliant Barcelona team. I mean, like Pio PK that, they're really good, right? But nobody would say that they're on the level that Iniesta, uh, Xavi, Messi were on. Like they weren't the same quality of defender as 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 the attacker they had. 
available to them. So I I don't think so. But then again, it depends on where you think this Arsenal team is. If you think this is a mid-table team trying to get into the top four, maybe it's you know maybe it's a half decent way whereas maybe if you think we're like a top six team trying to get in the top four maybe it's not it depends where you put um you know to to i guess rehash the question that paul uh, was given about where's the ceiling and where's the floor it depends where you put those two things as to how arsenal fits into that equation but i think at the moment it's not so much for me that we're overly defensive um i i don't quite think that's it like we're not putting 10 behind the ball um and you know soaking up and hitting teams on the counter i i think basically the the attack's just not effective i i don't think it's because we're too defensive mm. i just think we haven't found a good way of attacking yet okay yeah you know what i, I think that's actually a really good point clive you want to expand on that just quickly oh i think i think at the moment we are looking at our defensive work and really what we've developed is like a defensive strategy We've got these hybrid systems, three, four, sometimes a five. I think it's quite, I'm not sure if it's unique to us, but we 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 identify to it. If you look at Atletico Madrid, they have a, quite a tight line defense. They give you the outsides and really defend the box in numbers and they barricade. The Barcelona teams of yesteryear, what did they used to do when they lost the ball? They had a six second rule, get it back really, really quickly. Value uh, on a transition, very similar to Man City. Get back really, really quickly, finding the transition, facing into Liverpool, pressure, 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 finding the transition, playing your half. All these good teams have got a defensive strategy. And, and then what they have got is an offensive identity. And that's what we're lacking at the moment. And we keep making real conclusions about Arteta as an offensive manager. But I just don't think, I keep saying it, I just don't think we've seen it yet. I just don't think that's been on his list. I think how he builds play, the zonal play, positional play, that's on his list. But I don't think he's really focused on an offensive identity. I think he's focused on stability, stabilising the team, making sure we know what to do when we lose the ball, making sure we know what zone to defend when we're pushed deep. And we know that we scored some lovely, lovely goals, but we know we're not getting enough shots. So now we need to define our, our offensive strategy. And I think a lot of that's individual and players. Mm. And that comes back to your earlier question about individualist versus team play. I think for him to unlock this team, he may have to put some responsibility on some individuals. Maybe he's coached them to do that in the background, but I think that's the next phase. And we have our favourite individuals at this moment in time based on the fact that our least favourite individuals had bad games in the last few or four games. So we're looking at that, and I think a lot of this will be in form, individuals reaching form, execution, goals, much more front-footedness. I think it'd be a much more of a team thing as well, alongside the individual thing. So, so yeah, I think a lot you can win with defensive play, but you've got to have a defensive strategy. And that's something Arsenal have not had for many, many years until now. So now we have a defensive strategy. Now it's putting the icing on the cake. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's ideally the case, right? I mean, in an ideal world you build a superior attack on top of this improved defensive structure. In a not ideal world, you try to stimulate the attack and in so doing lose the defensive structure. And hopefully it's more the former than the latter. And so I guess I'll go to Facebook for a, a question here, Paul, that kind of enlarges that because it is about how he, how he can change this. And I, I've got a couple questions asking this. So 
Uh, Shoria Dandriel. That, that, that's right. right? Um, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Thoughts on playing a 4-4-2 formation to get more attacking players on the pitch and Pepe and Aubameyang up front. You know, I think 4-4-2 has been sort of... Um, it's fallen out of favor because of the way it can be outnumbered in, in midfield, but because of the way we can change systems and change deployments in different phases of attack and defense, I think it's interesting because a lot of teams actually defend in 4-4-2. Two banks of four and two pressing agents up front. Um, what do you think about a Pepe and Aubameyang front two, if that's a 4-4-2 or however you see it, and and trying to get an extra attack on the pitch? What, what do you what do you think of 4-4-2 or, or other variations on a theme in terms of stimulating that attacking area of the of the pitch yeah i think a 442 would make lots of sense and solve a number of issues we have like finding three players who work together up the middle um uh i think we have the midfielders for uh the 442 i think it would be an interesting one with sack on the left he's been tucked in as a midfielder in a couple of games now um, so it'd be pretty natural transition to be the wide left midfielder doing a hybrid role when we're attacking, getting right up the pitch. And on the right-hand side, you could have Maitland. I know we don't rate him particularly going into the final third at the moment, but then he, he's he's not really had the opportunity to develop that over the last couple of years. So he mightn't be the first choice, but I think Maitland Nas would be very interesting on the right. Um, as... as uh, as we look at uh, the the lineup up front, I think the fact that Lacazette has been successful in in a two as well. He he may not be the one we're all rubbing our hands trying to work out how to get in the team, but he might look a lot better alongside uh, a partner like Aubameyang for speed getting in behind uh, while he goes back to maybe what his forte had been in the past, uh, playing as part of a two-man attack. I mean, I don't think we're about to do it. I think... Uh, Arteta has been a bit defensive on the topic of whether we're switching away from, this was a few games ago, he was asked whether he'd switched from a five to a four, and even that was kind of, you could see he didn't exactly warm to the question in terms of questioning the system, um, which I took as a kind of a key that uh, he sees the flexibility of the system as to be, as to be the key thing, not whether it's concluded he started with a five or a four. So I think his whole idea is to develop this current system forward. And I mean, a four-four-two can be played in many different ways that look, end up looking like a four-three-three uh, when you're attacking. So um, system schmistums to some extent, I think it's more about triggers and relationships and synchronicities and use of space and and kind of adapting whatever your system is to what you want to achieve, but four four two in itself I think is a quite a nice uh, basic structure that we're not about to play, but could be fun. <laughs> it was uh, all I mean, good until we acknowledge we're about that it was... to go four four two. No, mean, of course would, not. Would we? No, no. Uh, but I like the answer, um, Tim. Yeah. I love this question. Par- party, you'd be quite good at it. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that completely. Um, you know, and, and to be fair, I think some of the best football we played under Arsene at the end, um, you know, when mm. we made the FA Cup run uh, under him, where we beat City and Chelsea, was a back three, but it was a midfield two of Ramsey and Shaka. One sat, one went. And I certainly think that party can sit and someone can go. Maybe it's Ceballos, maybe it's 
AN other who isn't even playing in the midfield right now. Maybe it's D- Dominic Sobosly. Uh, anyone, how do, you, how do you say that name? Sobosly. Sobosly, okay. Um, Tim, I love this question because I actually think this is a real issue with the way we, not we, I do analysis, I think. Analytics is a really good addition to the football conversation in my view. But the one thing that mm-hmm. analytics tries to do, by its very nature, in the scouting world in particular, is assess what a player is. And once it assesses what that player is, analytics is very specifically focused on that player being what those numbers say that player is, and not what he could be. And I think of a player like Joe Willick. Joe Willick is not like a baby. He's not 18. He can certainly get better. There is some people that think Joe Willick is who he is, who he will always be and ever is, and that is it. And there's some people that think he could grow into this spectacular Ramsey-esque figure that the numbers don't bear out. And I think we have this issue with lots of players where we like to project that they will always get better, which is not always the case, but sometimes we project that they will never get better. Mohamed Elneny being an example of that. So Negi Gunner 85 asks, we sometimes choose to believe that players can actually improve. But what if that is not the case? Oba has clearly improved his game since he came to Arsenal. Mm-hmm. His, his comment, not mine. My question is, do you think Elneny has returned from his loan as a better player than what we had before? His ball carrying, forward passing, and closing down is much better than what I remember. So thoughts on Elneny being a better player than he was and on players mm. generally having room, not just 18-year-olds, but having room to get better even in the middle of their career. Yeah, so on Elneny, I, I, I think he was always pretty good at those mm. things. I think what he didn't have was the forward pass, and that's something we've seen a bit more. Um, and look, that that's not the main job of his role. Um, well, well, actually, it kind of is, I guess, um, but not like the absolute defense splitter, but the progressive passing. Um, every, everything else I, I thought he broadly have had. Um, but that's the element that's improved. And and so, yes, you can just work on those things and they can become better. Um, but also, I think what really governs, particularly with, with, with players like that, what really governs it is what's happening around them. Um, you know, and like we're talking a lot about Lacazette and Willian's form at the moment, and they're both in terrible form. But at the same time, you've got to consider what's happening around them. Um, and where they're getting the ball and what their next line of passes. That That's really, I think, um, particularly when you're assessing midfielders and attackers. It's where are they getting the ball and what's their no- next option? What's their next line of pass? And I think if you looked at players like Lacazette and Willian at the moment, they haven't got a line of pass. Mm-hmm. Um, frankly, with, with Elneny, um, it's no coincidence to me that his best game came next to Thomas Partey because, you know, in in Paul's words, he's a good Robin if you've got a Batman and we haven't had a Batman for several years, um, quite frankly. So like maybe Elneny next to Coquelin, uh, next to Coquelin, next to Cazorla, sorry, um, in a past life might have worked really well, um, for example. So so I and I do I do think players can get better as well. And I don't think it's just young players. I think sometimes um I think in general, like ageism is one of like the most accepted prejudices um, in the world. Like the the stuff we say about people of of certain ages. Um, you don't have to say we. Ends. You can say you, Elliot. The stuff you say. <laughs> no, no. I, I I'm talking. I'm not even just talking about football here. Oh, I'm talking oh, okay, in a global yeah. sense. Like the 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 people that like really dominate. Um, you know, social conversations are usually like men between the ages of about 30 and 55. And we believe that everything in the world happens in that sphere. And we don't think about, um, you know, we don't think about millennials, for example, we don't think about people who are a bit older. And, and then 
like the same happens in football. We assume that older players can't get better at things, that they're too set in their ways. And uh, and we, we're kind of too quick to write off their ability to improve. And I, I don't think that's fair either. Um, so like I, I like I like this question because I think it's right. I think uh, and, and, you know, look, analytics can do that as well. It can it can really like um, it, it can give you a very set impression of a player. But what it should really do is is stop you from or stop football clubs at least, because let's face it, it doesn't matter whether football fans do this or not, but it should stop football clubs at least focusing on what the player contributes in isolation. And really, if you're, you know, if you're doing like the proper money ball thing, right, it's not just this player is probably better than we think he is. It's this player has qualities that we don't have elsewhere in the team or that can really suit people like, Liverpool's early and quite botched attempt at Moneyball, for example, they bought Andy Carroll and they said, what's he good at? He's good at headers in the box. So who should we buy? We'll buy Stuart Downing, who's really good at crossing the ball into the box. And we'll buy Charlie Adam because he's really good at set pieces. And like on paper, that makes a ton of sense. It just turns out that those players, you know, aren't at the elite level of any of those things. It's just their their personal attributes. So what, what I think analytics should do is stop you from kind of isolating players, as it were, and unless they're absolutely elite. Like you drop Messi into any team in the world, he is going to make them better. It's just as simple as that. Whereas with other players, what you've really got to look at is what what is my team missing? What does this player bring? And and that's when you see players come into good form as well. And there there are some strikers at the moment who are in really good form in the Premier League. Players like Danny Ings, Patrick Bamford, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, all guys who've been around a little while. And no one thought they were elite four or five years ago. But why are they all of a sudden putting up elite numbers? Well, because they play in teams that fit their qualities. They have managers that have invested in them a little bit. Um, and they've invested in their qualities. The stuff that Ancelotti's been doing with Calvert-Lewin is brilliant. The way Southampton plays suits Danny Ings down, down to the ground. He should not move or leave. Patrick Bamford has a manager that loves him after a string of managers who really didn't like him and misjudged his character. So all of these things come into it. So in short, I really like that question. And yes, I think we do get too set um, in what a player is and what they can be. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, it is... It is definitely something that I am guilty of. I mean, I mean, I won't deny it. Is that you know a player hits 25, 26 years old, and I look at the data and I say this is the player they are. Now, to be fair, I'm probably guilty of looking at a player with decent data at a young age and saying they're going to be a superstar. Like with Genduzzi, I said, okay, he's played this many minutes. This is the data. This is who he is at 19 years old. He's a superstar. And there are reasons that can fall apart. For example, attitude. Just like there are players like Jamie Vardy who become good later in their career because they take PEDs. I mean, work really hard and get better. Um, so, yeah, go ahead. I would, um, just, just to round that thought off, I'd really recommend um, an article Rory Smith wrote a week or two ago called There Is No Such Thing As A Bad Player. Mm. Um, and it, it was about Patrick Bamford, actually. But it, it, it just kind of focused on this in reality at the top level at the Premier League, there is very little difference between who, what you would regard as the best player and the worst player. Like, relatively speaking, those margins are very thin and little things really make a difference. Yeah, and I mean... I, I read that. I thought, I thought it was brilliant. I thought it, it absolutely sort of mirrors almost how, how I look at football. It's, it's not always your abilities. 
it's the room you walk into and the team you're in and the roles you're asked to play. I My mind completely changed on this with footballers when, when I went to watch Arsenal train and I watched Kieran Gibbs train. Kieran Gibbs, somebody I used to criticise. I've always said this before, but when I watched him train close up, I just could not believe his ability. I just couldn't believe it was just stunning. Absolutely stunning ability, control, athleticism, accuracy, power, speed. I went, oh my God, this is Kieran Gibbs. What what do other players look like? And it just hit me then that they can all play. All about how they handle pressure, what role they've been asked to do, how they're surrounded, the balance of a team that really brings out the maximum of a player. And if you look at players, look at someone like Paul Pupper, for example, playing in a left V, left eight for Juventus, well player, superstar, goes to play for Manchester United, they can't find a role for him. Whatever they do, they can't get him working. Is he a bad player? Is he out of form? Or is he just in the wrong room? Probably in the wrong room. When he plays for France, he looks pretty good to me. You know, so again, when you're judging a player, judge the room they're in, judge the role they're being asked to play, look at the roles of the people around them, and look at what they've been asked to do. Then look at their core skills. And the reason why maybe flipping back to Lacazette, and I'm a little bit more critical of him is, sometimes the first thing he's asked to do is what's not working out for him. So the first touch, the first movement, the retention, the last touch, the last movement, the confidence, the execution. When you see that consistently, then you think, well, actually, this isn't team-centric, this is individually-centric. It can be a little bit more critical there, but... I do think that article, I recommend it massively. I thought it was absolutely brilliant and brilliant for Roy Smith. I, I would say this. I think that I mostly agree. Um, but what I would say is that I think the talent distribution among professional footballers is a long-tailed distribution. What I mean by that is 85% of the players are in a cluster in the middle where they're separated by 3% of ability. So if you're one of the worst players or one of the better players, you're separated by a few percentage points of ability but the really good players are way out on the long tail and they're just much, much better. That Lionel Messi, that Cristiano Ronaldo, that, that Kylian Mbappe, that Neymar, that these players are light years ahead of the average professional. But the average professional, a player you regard as a good solid player to big club and a you know mediocre player to small club are actually separated by five points, you know, 5% of talent. That the talent gap is very small in the middle and gets very big out at the end of the tail of the distribution. Um, and that's why I think stars are so important. And this is why I've always said a stars and scrubs policy works and why I don't care about squad players. Because I think if you have a good system and you set up your team well, you win on the strength of your supremely talented stars and every other player can be given a job and successful. Tim referenced the great Leicester defense that won them a title. Those defenders were dog shit bad defenders. They did not have good defenders. They had, they had a, a system. strategy. Though. Right. They sat yeah. deep and they countered. And they, they leveraged Riyad uh, Mahrez. They sat, they and they sat had, deep and gave you the wide yep. areas. And, and they had N'Golo Kante the covering the whole, the world. Yes. And, yep. But, but so, Clive, do you see what I'm saying? Like, what I'm trying to say is that, like, yeah, if agree. you've got a couple, like, look at Leicester. Vardy is a star. Mahrez is a star. Kante is a star. The rest of the team had a job to do and did it. Okay? And I, I really do think that that approach can work. Because the majority of footballers are within 5% of each other on talent, but you have to have the guys out on the long tail of the distribution who can separate from the pack. Does that does that make sense? It does. And I think what's happening right now, and this is the battle that Arteta is going to have, And because I think what Leicester developed three or four stars that hit form at the same time. They got their role player to do a certain role, which they could do. 
they weren't embarrassed in doing that role. And they supported her three or four stars. My worry about Arteta is I don't think he wants a team of two or three or four stars. I think he wants a team. And that right now, he, we could easily do a similar type of approach and really make sure that the three or four stars are well positioned on the pitch to to, to kill people. But he, I think he wants to develop a t- something that's more sustainable, that if you lose three or four stars or lose one or two of those stars, they can't repeat it very quickly. I think he wants something repeatable, sustainable, which is far more team-centric and far more team identity. And I think I'm not sure that everybody's going to give him the time to do that. And that's his challenge. Can he get the results while developing that front door? I'm going to ask uh, each of you a question real quick, just a one or two sentence answer to round it out. And I'll start with you, Clive. Anora, nope. Anorna at Jacob ECZDM. I mean, that, I don't know if I'm, so, Jakub Zidum. I don't, I think those are initials or letters. I, gosh, I'm so bad at this. Someone else should do this. Um, Awar or Sobazlai, which one would you like at Arsenal and why? And I'm going to add to that. Do you think we get one of them? So Clive, you first. Awar, well, which one do you want? And do you think we'll get either? When people say this, I always ask myself where they want them to play. You know, and because people tell me they're attacking midfielder, and like, where do you want them to play? What role do you want them to play? Do you want to play left in the front three? Do you want to play number ten? Do you want to play left eight in the four three three? Right eight in the four three three? So I think people want this player without really knowing how they want to use them, in, in my opinion. And so I think Oar could easily play left forward. And that might hurt one of our England superstars at the moment. Uh, I'm not sure if he can play deeper eight. I probably could. But I think he looks quite flexible and quite pacey and sharp. But he costs double the price of Slobberzai, who is a monster physically. And I think he's got superstar potential. But I will caveat that by saying I saw him playing against Liverpool and he disappeared up his own backside. So whether he can go to the, the intensity of the Premiership, I'm not so sure. So I probably just about because I'm thinking about money, go go slum aside. And because I like his physicality, and I think we have we have a small baller in, in Saka, so having a big baller wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Yeah, the one thing I will say, I, I, I like him a lot too. I, I think some people that are uh, closer followers of him than I, which is basically everyone, has said that he's a moments player, which scared me a little bit, that um, you know he steps up and has big moments, but then he can drift from games. And that sounds a little too familiar to some of the other stars we've had in the past, and I would be Agreed. a little scared Agreed. of that. Uh, Paul, you got a, you got a preference and a prediction? Um, I guess I think the same's kind of true of Awar when I've watched him. I've seen games where he kind of he's just another player. They're both very young, and I think that's part of why they tend to to perform and not perform. Um, overall, if I could take one of the two, I think. Uh, Maybe Jabajlai, I think he's a more exciting player, um, would give us more personality and presence. There's not really a tactical uh, debate between them. I think he he feels, I haven't looked at his stats, but he feels like more of an actual goal scorer and creator, like a end product creator kind of guy than, than Awar has been so far. Plus, I'm still pissed off with Awar and his agent brother, because that's the story I believed. So fuck him. Yeah. Um, Tim, preference, prediction? <laughs> I, I don't have a preference because I've seen our play once and the other guy whose name I can't even say, I've never seen play. So it would be very false. So you're educated enough to have strong um, opinions pre- by football standards. So fire away. 
my, my prediction is neither. Um, my my belief is 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 the other guy whose name I I'm not going to try and pronounce on his way to Leipzig or something. Mm-hmm. Like, did I read? I, I don't know. Um, our I just don't see us going back like that. That doesn't tend to happen. I don't think. And as Paul referenced, I think the way that the transfer didn't happen suggests that the door might be shut on that one. I, I, I think we'll sign someone like that in that position, but it will be neither of them. Sure as shit would want Jack Grealish over either of them. but He's bang on for United, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Like he just that, has he, United I, written all over him. Yeah. I, I think <laughs> he moved beyond our price range. Um, quite some time ago <laughs> yeah. more so now yeah i agree um sad well uh how about this clive let's do the one thing that is almost certain to ensure that it's a war we get let's do a scouting video for sober slide this week what do you say yeah he's a nice player big boy let's do it let's do it and by shot. doing it we can fully jinx that off and, and get another move in the works i think that's enough for an interlow what do you uh what do you guys say good good i'm good Complete with yeah, that's good. super right. awkward ad break in the middle. Uh, yeah, I loved it. I loved every bit of it. <laughs> They're getting worse. Pause on Twitter. Pause my band. Thanks, pause. Woohoo. Did I tell you about my latest project or should I keep that? Tim's on Twitter. Stoberto, thanks, Tim. <laughs> my pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter. Clive BFC. Tim Clive. Thank you very much. Do not scare away the sponsors, please. Okay. <laughs> my name's Alex Smithy. Goodbye, man. Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Uh, if you'd like to hear uh, Paul's story, just get to him on Twitter and he can give it to you there. <laughs> Give it to you there. We'll do we'll do a bonus episode of all of Paul's uh, sponsorship outtakes. In any event, we love you and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Leave some The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com